I'm more convinced than ever that we can win. We'll fall up the rough side of the mountain. We can win. I just want young America to do me one favor. Just one favor. Exercise the right to dream. You must face reality that which is, but then dream of the reality that ought to be, that must be. Live beyond the pain of reality with the dream of a bright tomorrow. Use hope and imagination as weapons of survival and progress. Use love to motivate you and, and obligate you to serve the human family. Young America, dream! Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That moment of democracy inspiration was a clip from Reverend Jesse Jackson's famous Rainbow Coalition speech at the 1984 Democratic National Convention. I'm Jason Franklin. It's Tuesday, June 8th. And moving from 1984 to today, here at One for Democracy, we're keeping our eye on four key issues this week. First, the Biden administration's first major global meetings, the latest federal and state voting rights developments, the primaries happening today in Virginia and New Jersey, and finally, important immigration and gun rights court cases. On the global front, President Biden is headed on the road, first to England, where he'll meet with Prime Minister Boris Johnson and allies at the G7 summit, then on to a NATO conclave in Brussels, and finally a meeting with Vladimir Putin in Geneva. Biden's trying to revive America's role abroad after its deterioration under Trump, standing up for human rights and democracy, pushing back against China, and trying to rally for a global climate change strategy. With the Biden administration taking the next steps on COVID vaccine diplomacy, and with member nations of the G7, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the UK, and the US agreeing in principle to a proposal that would set a minimum global corporate tax of 15%, their energy and influence on the global stage is building, but it is still too soon to tell the long-term hit to the U.S. reputation. While Biden's heading to Europe, Vice President Kamala Harris is heading south for her first foreign trip in office to Guatemala and Mexico, her goal trying to solve the root problems causing tens of thousands of people to flee to the U.S.-Mexico border. But this comes even as the Biden administration is ending its Remain in Mexico policy, which has kept many migrants seeking U.S. asylum at the southern border in Mexico while their applications are being considered. This work on immigration stands against the backdrop of a decades-high number of migration coming into the United States, almost 180,000 arrivals estimated last month. On the voting rights front, Democrats and voting rights groups have been scrambling since Senator Joe Manchin's op-ed in the West Virginia Charleston Gazette on Sunday, where he came out against the For the People Act and said that democracy legislation must be passed in a bipartisan manner. This is despite all evidence showing Republicans oppose any federal voting rights laws. Some advocates are now focused on Manchin's suggestion to prioritize passing a narrower piece of legislation known as H.R. 4, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, that would once again require federal approval of new voting laws and changes to legislative districts. And they're exploring opportunities to add key pieces of the For the People Act to H.R. 4. 
Others are trying to sustain or add pressure to Manchin, who's scheduled to meet with civil rights leaders today, and are calling for Democrats to still bring the For the People Act to the Senate floor later this month to call Manchin's bluff or at least create a moment to be clear on the lines in the sand. At the state level, Governor Phil Scott of Vermont, a Republican, signed legislation to send mail ballots to all registered voters for general elections, an expansion of voting rights in the state of Vermont. Also, three pro-voter bills became law in Nevada to ensure that voters get a ballot in the mail, expand availability of drop boxes, create automatic voter registration, and allow disabled voters to register online. The Illinois legislature sent two bills to the governor to make it easier for incarcerated people to vote, and the Connecticut Senate moved forward a constitutional amendment to allow for no-excuse absentee voting, although that will have to be voted on again by the legislature in the coming year before it can then be moved to become a enforced constitutional amendment. However, there are also some troubling shifts. Anti-voter bills are moving forward in Wisconsin, creating new election crimes and targeting voters with disability. And here in Michigan, they're imposing several new laws that are aiming to impose stricter voter ID requirements. And in Texas, the governor signed a bill creating a felony offense for election officials, new efforts trying to intimidate election officials to enforce fair election laws. We're also looking at primaries today in Virginia and New Jersey. In Virginia, former Governor Terry McAuliffe is seeking his old job, which after winning the governorship in 2013, aiming to make history as only the second popularly elected governor in Virginia history to win two non-consecutive terms. He's definitely the front one runner, although his strongest competition among multiple competitors are State Senator Jennifer McClellan, who is looking to make history as the first woman to be elected as governor in Virginia, and former delegate Jennifer Carroll Foy, who would make history twice if elected as both the first female governor of Virginia and the first black woman to win a governorship anywhere in the United States. However, McAuliffe is showing double-digit polling leads and raising millions more than his closest competitors, so most political watchers expect him to win today. In New Jersey, the primaries are drawing a lot less attention. Governor Pat Murphy is running uncontested to be nominated for a second term and is seen as safe win in November. However, the big question for national political watchers is whether former state assemblyman Jack Chiatarelli, the clear favorite to become the Republican gubernatorial nominee, will win big or by a close margin against his enthusiastically pro-Trump main opponent, Hirsch Singh, despite having a vast lead in fundraising and endorsements. If Singh wins or even comes close, it'll be seen as another sign among, among Republicans that at least this cycle you win by praising Trump. Finally, at the Supreme Court, we saw the Supreme Court rule and unanimously that immigrants given temporarily protected status don't qualify for permanent residency if they entered the U.S. unlawfully. Nearly 400,000 people have TPS, which protects them from being deported if conditions in their home countries are unsafe, whether civil war, an epidemic, an earthquake. Justice Elena Kagan, writing for the court, argued that getting TPS doesn't change the fact that someone entered the U.S. unlawfully. And in California, a federal judge ruled that California's ban on semi-automatic and military-style rifles was unconstitutional. The ruling overturns a three-decade-old prohibition on such weapons, saying it's their Second Amendment right to use assault weapons. And the judge said that AR-15s are no different than Swiss Army Knights as a, quote, perfect home defense weapon. State officials are already planning an appeal, but if the Supreme Court does take it up, 
it could be an opening for the conservative-leaning bench to overhaul nationwide gun laws. Thanks for joining us to hear a quick review of the key issues of the week. I'm Jason Franklin. It's Tuesday, June 8th, and thanks for joining 10 Minutes on Democracy.